0: Hey, Haley. Yeah. You know what I do when I need a mental break from some really tough true crime stories that we've talked about and researched? What? I'm really into playing this mobile game right now called Best Fiends. It's this really great casual puzzle game, and it engages your brain as you play. So not only are you having a little bit of fun and not being super bored, but you're also doing something for yourself. You feel like you're accomplishing something. Mm -hmm. and it's super easy i've only been playing for about a week and i'm over 100 levels deep and i can't stop won't stop i can't get enough
1: yeah same it's really great because i travel a lot on buses and planes and subways and you don't need internet access to play so it works perfectly for me so engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters with over 100 million downloads this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Best Fiends. Best Fiends. Okay, bye! Bye!
0: what's up not much how about you
1: nothing much ready to hear some sad stories is it super sad it's not happy
0: oh well (laughs) it's not that kind of podcast no it's never been that kind of podcast speaking of the kind of podcast this is crime culture it is it is we always forget to always always i mean i feel like if you've clicked on it then you know what it is but then again if you have your your episodes on shuffle what have you i guess there's i guess i guess I there's guess. a chance just i don't know this get legs. Crime culture. yeah that's yeah. caitlin i am caitlin that's Haley. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're
1: gonna tell you some spooky stories
0: hey uh, this isn't really spooky All right. It's both sad and not spooky. (laughs) Well, jump into it. All right. Jumping right in. So for those of you who don't know, yesterday was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So today we are talking about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Shocking, Mm -hmm. isn't it? So, Martin Luther King Jr. was born on January 15th, 1929, literally days before my grandma in Atlanta, Georgia, literally states away from my grandma, to the Reverend Martin Luther King Sr. and Alberta Williams King. And he was born as Michael Luther King Jr., Mm -hmm. but his name was later changed to Martin after his father, while visiting sites associated with the Protestant Reformation leader Martin Luther... Um, He witnessed the rise of Nazism, and the conference he was at issued a resolution condemning anti-Semitism, and Martin Luther King Sr. really began to appreciate the power of Martin Luther's protest. So he later stated that the name Michael was a mistake by the attending physician to his son's birth, and that his birth... Martin Luther King Jr.'s birth certificate was altered to read Martin Luther King Jr. in 1957. So, Oh, okay. both of them changed their names. Huh. All right. Um and though his parents were both African American on his paternal great grandfather's side, he had actually Irish ancestry. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But um his paternal grandfather actually is the one who began what would be the family's long tenure as pastors of the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. His grandpa served from 1914 to 1931. His father then started serving in 1931. And from 1960 until his death, King was acting Dr. King was acting co-pastor. Mm. Um he was also a middle child. Um he had an older sister named Christine and a younger brother named A. D. And Dr. King liked to sing in his church choir as a kid. That included their performance at the 1939 Atlanta premiere of a film that you probably have never heard of called Gone with the Wind. Oh, well, just a little indie, not well-known film. super indie. uh, Didn't really get much recognition from, like, any award shows or anything. You wouldn't really recognize the actors today. Definitely wasn't lampooned on Carol Burnett. I could go on, but I know it's getting annoying. Um, but he really just loved singing and music. So his mom, he got it from like his mom mostly because she was an accomplished organist. She was a choir director. She would take him to like all kinds of churches to sing. And the song that he got the most attention for singing was I want to be more and more like Jesus. Oh, interesting. Can't say I know it. Can't say I know it, but I find it ironic um, because he would become more and more like Jesus. And later he became a member of the junior choir in his church, hmm. Also, but also as a child. So his mom had a strong influence on him in terms of music. Um, as for his father, he had a less positive influence. Um, apparently he regularly whipped his son until he was 15. Ooh. Um, a neighbor actually once reported hearing the father tell his son, quote, he would make something of him even if he had to beat him to death, end quote. Oof. But Dr. King saw this and kind of, it didn't really affect him in a super negative way because his, he also saw how his father was so proud and fearless when he protested against segregation, Um, An example of this is that he refused to listen to a cop after he was referred to as boy. And Mm. he walked, didn't really walk, he stormed out of a store with his son when a shoe clerk told him that they would have to move to the back of the store in order to be served. Mm. So when Dr. King was a child, obviously he's experienced some racism already, but when he was very little, he... Became friends with a white boy whose father owned a business near where his family lived. And when the kids were six, they started to go to school and segregation was still a thing. So Dr. King had to go to a school for African-American people and his friend had to go to one for white people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he ended up losing this friend because after they went to segregated schools, his friend's dad no longer wanted them to play with each other. So, it's weird that
1: he would like let them play together before they went to school. Like, what is the point? If you're going to be racist, why put like an age limit on it?
0: You know, I was wondering about that myself, and part of me wondered if it actually had to do with more that he, the father, and I, this doesn't make it right, but if the father was concerned his son would be ostracized because now he's going to an all-white school and for being friends with a black closest boy. Friend, yeah, yeah, because my mom back in the 60s my mom was born in 55 um civil rights movement took place in the 60s so she was like mm, like from the march on washington she was under 10 Mm -hmm. um and she was like eight years old she actually was walking home from school with an african-american peer of hers a friend of hers they both went to a catholic high school where like you pay to play yeah and somebody i don't remember if it was the neighbor or an aunt or someone pulled over actually and yelled at my mom and was like just wait until i tell your mother and my mom was like go ahead and because my grandma my grandma as we've as we've probably discussed in the past is a wonderful woman who does not give two hoots so and she did not in fact give two hoots so but yeah. Yeah. That. yeah, so I can understand I don't say I don't think it's right, but I can understand that it may not have been that he suddenly woke up and was racist.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think that's it. But yeah. like your explanation, yeah, that kind of makes sense. It's not right, yeah. but it it makes no. sense in that period of time.
0: Right. But um yeah, so Obviously, this left a poor taste in his mouth and further experiences in his youth basically caused him to initially feel resentment against white people. Um, He called it racial humiliation. That was what he and his family and his African-American neighbors often had to experience in the Mm -hmm. South. So because he grew up in Atlanta, he attended Booker T. Washington High School and became known for his public speaking abilities, and was even part of the debate team. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I never would have guessed. Um, Yeah. But when he was 13 years old in 1942, he became the youngest assistant manager of a newspaper delivery station for the Atlanta Journal, and during his junior year of high school, he won first prize in in an oratorical contest that was sponsored by the Negro Elks Club in Dublin, Georgia. So... He wins this prize. He's going home and his teacher and he got on a bus to go back to Atlanta and the bus driver told them to stand up so that white passengers could sit down. And Dr. King initially said no, but then his teacher told him that they'd be breaking the law if he didn't. So he gave up and he gave in. Mm -hmm. But um the when this was going down dr king said later that he was quote the angriest i have ever been in my life end quote yeah understandable but um obviously you know like sometimes if you're made to feel like you're going to fail you just do you just let them be right you know what i mean yeah he did the opposite And he actually skipped both the ninth grade and the 12th grade while he was in high school. Wow. Yes. Um, He just did excellent in school, despite not getting the same opportunities as his white peers. Um, He graduated from high school at the age of 15. And after, yeah, I know, I feel pretty fucking stupid. (laughs) Yeah, Um, right? After an announcement that they would start accepting entrance exams from juniors in high school, he was accepted into Morehouse College, a distinguished black institution of Atlanta, from which both his dad and his grandfather had graduated. And then in 1948, at the age of 19, King did the same and graduated from Morehouse with a bachelor's degree in sociology. Mm. Yep. And um, for most of his life, this is this is probably pretty ironic but dr king actually was really skeptical of many tenets of christianity so when he was 13 he actually denied the bodily resurrection of christ during a like sunday school session i don't think that went over well i highly doubt that went over well yeah it didn't go over well when I was in the fifth grade and I said I didn't think Santa was real. Something tells <laughs> me that Jesus is a whole nother more serious ball game than yeah. Santa. But um but from that point on he said that he that quote, doubts began to spring forth unrelentingly, end quote. Which is actually a common theme if you look into highly religious public figures, uh, Mother uh-huh. Teresa was another one, a lot of these people who were known for being so in tune with their faith actually seriously struggled with it daily, Yeah, which I find interesting. But um, yeah, so he played freshman football at Morehouse, but he later concluded that the Bible had many profound truths which one cannot escape. That was a quote from him. And so... While he's playing football, maybe he got hit in the head a bunch of times. before his the summer before his last year at Morehouse in 1947, he made the decision to enter the ministry. Mm. He had concluded that the church offered the most assuring way to answer, quote, "an inner urge to serve humanity end quote." Mm-hmm. So this inner urge had begun developing, and he made peace with the Baptist Church and believed he would be a rational minister. With sermons that were, quote, a respectful force for ideas, even social protest, end quote. Mm. Little did he know. (laughs) So after three years studying theology at Crozer Theological Seminary in Chester, Pennsylvania, um, where he was also elected president of a predominantly white senior class. And um, I put and here. But this doesn't make sense grammatically, so I'm ignoring the end. Um, (laughs) So after these three years, he was awarded a B-div in 1951, which is like a bachelor's degree in divinity, I believe. Okay. Um, So in his third year at Crozer, Dr. King became romantically involved with the white daughter of an immigrant. Um, She was a German woman who worked as a cook in the cafeteria. And she had been involved with a professor before her relationship with Dr. King. But so... She had, like, the reputation of being involved with men she shouldn't have. (laughs) Okay. Because first she goes with a professor and then with a black guy, which was not done. Yeah. Um, But nonetheless, Dr. King planned on marrying her. um, And he really was about to go through with it until his friends pretty heavily protested against it. And they said that an interracial marriage would provoke animosity from both blacks and whites, potentially damaging his chances of ever being a pastor in a church in the South. Mm. So King would later tearfully tell a friend that he could not endure his mother's pain over the marriage. So after six months, he broke up with the girl. But he continued to always kind of have feelings for her. And one friend was quoted as saying, quote, he never recovered. Mm. So while studying at Crozer, he asked a friend from Atlanta named Mary Powell, who was a student at the New England Conservatory of Music, if she knew any nice Southern girls. kind of like to bounce back. Yeah. So Powell asked her friend and fellow student, Coretta Scott, if she was interested in meeting a Southern friend studying divinity. And Scott was not interested in dating a preacher, but eventually she agreed to allow Dr. King to telephone her based on powell powell being like hey he's really cute hey he's I'll really I'll allow cool. you to call me
1: huh i'll allow you to call me
0: i love it i love it i'm <laughs> like you go girl she's like a strong badass lady like i would love to do another episode where she hasn't really she's experienced a crime secondhand via the spoiler alert death of her husband but yeah like she's she led a badass life yeah yeah um but so, on the phone, this is their first phone call. Their Doctor, date. Huh? First date. I mean, is it a date? They're not physically in the same... I guess. Maybe. Okay. okay. Online dating. um, On phone line dating. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. King told her, quote, I am like Napoleon at Waterloo before your charms. End quote. To which she Jeez. replied... No, 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 no. To which she replied, you haven't even met me. Yes! <laughs> Yeah, this is what I mean. Like, she didn't give... She's like my grandma. She didn't give two hoots. Yep. So, they went out for a couple of dates. And after the second date, Dr. King was pretty positive that Scott... So, not that he loved her, but that she had the qualities he wanted for a wife. Okay. Um, she had been an activist at Antioch during her undergrad, where she was also roommates with Rod Serling whoa yeah did i say roommates or schoolmates you said roommates i meant schoolmates okay. um once i once i said I wish that they i had lived like, together yeah right <laughs> um something tells me if they lived together she would not have been mrs dr king um Probably not. But so after convincing his dad would be, well, I mean, while convincing his dad would be another issue because Coretta was from like small town Alabama, she wanted to be a performer. Um, her his dad yeah. wanted him to marry like a prominent member of an at, of, of of a big Atlanta family. Mm-hmm. Um, they. Went for it anyway. And after winning a fellowship at Crozer, Dr. King enrolled in graduate studies at Boston University, um, which is near the New England Conservatory. He wanted to be closer to Coretta. Uh-huh. And he finished his residence for his doctorate in 1953 and received his degree in 1955. And while in Boston, he married Coretta on June 18, 1953 on the lawn of her parents' house in her hometown of Heiberger, Alabama.
1: That's cute.
0: Yep. They went on to have four kids, Yolanda, Martin Luther King III, Dexter Scott King, and Bernice. Mm-hmm. And during their marriage, King limited Coretta's role in the civil rights movement and basically was like, you're going to be a wife and a mother and take care of Ooh. the home. Yeah. It, this is That's where it concerning. gets a little dicey. It gets a little dicey. Yeah. And, and I didn't even bring up in this episode about how he was apparently, like, homophobic, but... That's a oh. whole other thing. There's a lot of debate about whether or not he was, but the okay. general consensus is ye. Oh. But um, yeah, it's well, a bit of a poorly One civil kept rights secret.
1: Guy can't have it all.
0: Nope, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, but it's a bit of a poorly kept secret. The Dr. King was a bit of a philanderer. He Look. liked the ladies, even after he was married. Yeah. All right. And in his 1986 book, Bearing the Cross, David Garrow wrote about a number of extramarital affairs that Dr. King had, including one woman that allegedly he saw almost every day. And So,
1: another family. No. Uh, uh, you see the, this other person every single day? That's a, that's a big commitment.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, men cheat with their secretaries and they see them every single day.
1: Well, was he seeing her or was he seeing her? I don't know.
0: I don't know. He was just physically looking at her. That's all I know. (laughs) Was he physically doing other things? I don't know. (laughs) All right. Um, But according to Garrow, quote, that relationship increasingly became the emotional centerpiece of King's life, but it did not eliminate the incidental couplings of King's travels, end quote. Mm hmm. Garrow also alleged that King explained his extramarital affairs as, quote, a, ref- a form of anxiety reduction, end quote. Ew. Something tells me that he also would have been the guy to be like, I don't like condoms because I don't They're feel anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Ugh. But yeah, so Garrow asserted that Dr. King's alleged promiscuity caused him quote painful and at times overwhelming guilt end quote which like nice to know that he's got a heart yeah a little um, bit maybe and speaking of hearts coretta appeared to have accepted his affairs mm-hmm. and said once that quote all other businesses but bi- all other business just doesn't have a place in the very high level of relationship we enjoyed end quote
1: so like, sounds like an excuse
0: no, I think what she was saying was like I got more out of it than sex. So if he wanted to get sex somewhere else, that's fine because at the end of the day he came to me. Yeah. Okay. That's right. kind of what I got from it. All right. It doesn't but, make it right, but Yeah, it doesn't make it right. Okay. But um shortly after Bearing the Cross was released, civil rights author Howell Raines gave the book a positive review, but shared the opinion that Garrow's allegations about King's sex life were, quote, sensational. And he said that Garrow was, quote, amassing facts rather than analyzing them, end quote. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, in his 1989 autobiography, And the Walls Came Tumbling Down, Ralph Abernathy stated that Dr. King had a, quote, weakness for women, end quote, although they, quote, all understood and believed in the biblical prohibition against sex outside of marriage. It was just that he had a particularly difficult time with that temptation, end quote. Mm-hmm. All <laughs> um, right. But furthermore, and we'll get into this a little bit, when the FBI was, like, watching him, they also found evidence that he was having affairs and kept trying to, like, bring it to light to discredit him. Because okay. in case anybody doesn't know, J. Edgar Hoover's an asshole, or was. Yeah. But, um... So anyway, moving on. In 1954, at only 25 years old, Dr. King became the pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. And since he was always a strong promoter of civil rights, by this time he was also a member of the executive committee of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. NAACP. Long name Yeah, but we know the we know the acronym.
1: I know, but still, it's
0: quite a long name. It's. it's that long it's like what national association for the advancement of colored people that's like if you don't count the the yeah i guess yeah you're right <laughs> um i don't know where i was going with that but okay but um in march 1955 a 15 year old black schoolgirl named claudette colvin Um, refused to give up her bus seat to a white man in violation of Alabama's Jim Crow laws. Mm -hmm. And these laws, for those who don't know, they were pretty localized to the South and they basically enforced segregation. Yeah. Um, But Dr. King was on the committee from the Birmingham African-American community that looked into the case. And overall, they decided to wait for a better case. He, like, you know what I mean, like... It, just because it wasn't... He, the majority decided. Yeah. Doesn't mean that he agreed. Decided to wait for a better case to pursue because the incident involved a minor. So okay. nine months later, they got their wish on December 1st, 1955, when a similar incident occurred when a little old lady named Rosa Parks was arrested for also refusing mm. to give up her seat on a city bus. All right. So... The two incidents together led to the Montgomery bus boycott, which was urged and planned by um, one of Dr. King's, um, what's the word that I'm looking for, Um, committee co-members, and Dr. King executed it. Uh And it was during these days of the boycott that actually Dr. King was arrested, his home was bombed, he was subjected to personal abuse, Um, So he suffered in a lot of ways, but at the same time, his role in the boycott transformed him into a national figure and the best-known spokesman of the civil rights movement. Yeah. And after 381 days of nearly universal participation by citizens of the black community, many of whom had to walk miles to work each day as a result, the Supreme Court ruled that racial segregation in transportation was unconstitutional.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: the boycott lasted a total of 381 days
1: wow and
0: yeah almost i didn't a year. realize it was that long yeah yeah and on december 21st 1956 after the supreme court of the united states had declared the uh, the laws unconstitutional black and white people were able to ride on buses as equals mm-hmm. so score one for dr king yeah So then in 1957, he was elected the president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or the SCLC. That's a much quieter name. Uh I don't know why I said quieter. Um, I got what you mean. Yeah, it was a less drawn out name. Um, But nonetheless, for those who don't know what that is, basically, um, it was an organization that brought leadership to like and structure to the civil rights movement yeah um so dr king would serve as the head of the sclc until his death a period during which he would emerge as the most important social leader of the modern american civil rights movement and he borrowed the ideals for the organization from christianity but he borrowed its operational ideals from gandhi Mm mm-hmm so, the SCLC's 1957 Prayer Pilgrimage for Freedom was, while he had spoken before in front of congregations, like we had talked about, he was a pastor. Um, this was the first time Dr. King had ever addressed a national audience. Mm-hmm. And so, this was kind of just just the beginning. And in the 11-year period between 1957 and 1968, Dr. King traveled over 6 million miles and spoke over 2500 times and appeared wherever there was any injustice, protest, and action. And he also wrote five books and a bunch of articles. Jesus. Yeah. Busy dude. Yeah, he was he was the face of the civil rights movement. Yeah. So then on November 20th, 1958, Dr. King was signing copies of his book Stride Toward Freedom in Blumstein's department store in Harlem. When Isola Curry, a mentally ill black woman who thought that King was conspiring against her with communists, stabbed him in the chest with a a letter opener. I can't speak, but we're good. Not a leather opener, a letter opener. Much more sharp. Yeah. So Dr. King underwent emergency surgery with three doctors and lived. And Curry was later found mentally incompetent to stand trial. So she got the help that she needed. Uh Uh-huh. Which is which is good. Good for her. Yeah. Um. So then jumping to the 60s, the FBI received a written directive from Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy to tap Dr. King's phone line in the fall of 1963. Mm-hmm. So Kennedy was concerned that the growing public allegations of communists in the SCLC would derail the administration's civil rights initiatives. So mm-hmm. he warned Dr. King to stop associating with these people. And to it got to a point where he had no choice. Like he really was like, I for in to preserve the civil rights movement, I need you to wiretap Dr. King and other leaders of the SCLC. Hmm. All right. So Doc So Kennedy feared the end of the civil rights movement, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. J. Edgar Hoover feared the success of the civil rights movement (laughs) Uh uh-huh yeah so when he began this wiretap he began to investigate the allegations of communist infiltration with the what's the word that i'm looking for with the intent to put dr king on trial yeah So obviously, when no evidence emerged to support that he was, you know, a commie, the Uh FBI used the incidental details that they caught on tape over the next five years in an attempt to force Dr. King out of his position. Um, He believed that Dr. King believed that organized nonviolent protest against the system of Southern laws known as the Jim Crow laws Would lead to extensive media coverage of the struggle for black equality and voting rights and the FBI did not like that and so for so the FBI began pushing in the 60s to wiretap him and Bobby Kennedy was finally like at the end of 1963 they were like yes he was like yes yeah but um journalistic accounts and because dr. King was right Journalistic accounts and televised footage of the daily deprivation and indignities suffered by Southern blacks and of segregationist violence and harassment of civil rights workers and marchers and supporters Mm -hmm. produced a wave of sympathetic public opinion instead of what Hoover wanted. And so basically the majority of Americans became convinced that the civil rights movement was the most important issue in American politics in Uh the 1960s. Yeah. Um... But despite all of this, despite his promotion of nonviolent protests and all of that, uh, Dr. King was criticized by many groups during the course of his participation in the civil rights movement. And this actually Mm -hmm. included opposition by more militant blacks, such as Malcolm X, whom everybody else knows. Yep. But 1963, while wiretapping was big. That wasn't the biggest thing that he did. Starting in April 1963, he led a coalition of numerous civil rights groups in a nonviolent protest against racist... I can't speak. <laughs> um, I don't know why I also mimic a rooster when I do that. A turkey? Right. A turkey. It's a turkey. Never mind. I'm Centering guys, I'm yourself. so tired. Um so in in April 1963, he leads these civil rights groups in this nonviolent protest against racial segregation and economic injustice in Birmingham, Alabama, which at the time was described as the, quote, most segregated city in America, end quote. Ooh. Yeah. Not a title you want. No, not a fun one. No, not something you actively try to achieve. (laughs) Yeah. Um, a.k.a. J. Edgar Hoover's dream home. Anyway, um, so, Dr. King's intent was to basically use this nonviolence to provoke mass arrests and, quote, create a situation so crisis-packed that it will inevitably open the door to negotiation, end quote. Oh, okay. So, still nonviolent, but just basically like we're all, like what Jane Fonda's doing down at the Capitol right now, where she's just getting arrested every Friday. Yep. um, And she's bringing everybody with her. <laughs> And posting on her Instagram about how proud she is when her grandson gets arrested. (laughs) Um, uh, She's not a regular grandma. She's a cool grandma. Um, Not as cool as my grandma, but she's up there. So the campaign's early volunteers weren't exactly successful in shutting down the city or drawing media attention to the police's actions like Dr. King wanted. Mm -hmm. But the subsequent brutality of the city's police, which was most vividly illustrated by TV images of black people, including children being mm. assaulted by police dogs and high pressure water hoses. And that's Oof. like some iconic images when you look yeah, up yeah, the yeah. civil yeah. rights movement. That's what you see. Yeah. Um, this led to a national outrage that resulted in a push for civil rights le- legislation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it was during this campaign that Dr. King got arrested And he drafted the now infamous Letter from a Birmingham Jail, Mm -hmm. which is the manifesto of his philosophy and his tactics and is today required reading in many universities all over the world. Uh Uh-huh. So, in the letter, he responded to calls on the movement to pursue legal channels for social change and argued that the crisis of racism was too urgent to take that long to get tied up in legal proceedings. And that the current system was too entrenched. And mm-hmm. he said, quote, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed, end quote. Mm-hmm. He also noted that the Boston Tea Party, which for those who don't know, basically the Americans wanted independence. So they took the tea that the British were bringing over and they dumped it in the Boston Harbor. And it was a whole big thing. And the ocean was tea for days. Um But so he said that this act of rebellion by the American colonies was an illegal civil disobedience and that conversely, quote, everything Adolf Hitler did in Germany was legal, end quote. Mm-hmm. So he was like, doing the legal thing isn't always right. <laughs> yeah. Which I really, I was like, yeah, you go, you go, Marty. Um, but so Dr. King was also at this time one of the driving forces of the March for Jobs and Freedom, which was more commonly known as the March on Washington on August 28, 1963. It mm-hmm. drew over 250,000 people to the National Mall. Mm-hmm. And the march made specific demands, which included an end to racial segregation in public schools Civil rights legislation, including a law prohibiting racial discrimination in employment, protecting civil rights workers from police brutality, a two dollar minimum wage for all workers, which would have been like. So it's more than with inflation, what we're making today for minimum wage. It's seventeen dollars. Whoa. Yes. Yes. Like (laughs) R.I.P.
1: Yeah. Right. And
0: yeah. And they wanted self-government for Washington, D.C., because at the time, African-Americans were only governed by a congressional committee. So the march was originally conceived, despite these being really great demands. um, It was originally conceived as an event to dramatize the desperate condition of black treatment in the southern United States Mm -hmm. and an opportunity to place the organizers' concerns and grievances right in front of the nation's capital. Mm-hmm. So the organizers intended initially to denounce the federal government for its failure to safeguard everybody's civil rights and also the physical safety of all of the people involved in the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and, you know, black people as a whole. But um, eventually, president the presidential pressure and influence caused them to kind of relax a little bit. And Mm -hmm. so, even though they asked for a ton of things, they initially wanted more. And so they made it a lot less serious. So as a result, some civil rights activists, as I touched on earlier, felt that it presented an inaccurate and sanitized pageant of racial harmony. Mm -hmm. And that is a quote that I thought was very cool, even though it's a Wikipedia quote. Um, All right. I was like, that is, that is, that is words. but Malcolm X called it the quote farce on Washington end quote. Okay. And the Nation of Islam, of which doc- of which Malcolm X was a member, actually forbade its members from attending the march. Hmm. So, despite these tensions, the march was a resounding success. All these people went. They were all kinds of ethnicities. They were went from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to the National Mall and, like, around the reflecting pool, there's video of black people and white people soaking their feet together in the fucking pool on the mall, which is, like, uh-huh. something that you don't see. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like Like, you look at it now and you're like, okay, like, they're washing their feet. Back then it was, like, scandalous. Uh-huh. So at the time, it was the largest gathering of protesters in Washington, D.C.'s history. And Dr. King delivered a 17-minute speech that was later known as, I Have a Dream. And in the speech's most famous passage, in which he kind of went off of the prepared speech he had, and it's suspected that it was because his friend, Mahalia Jackson, who was there, she was a singer, um, she shouted from behind him, tell them about the dream. Uh-huh. so okay. he then said and think about this this was ad-libbed wow i say to you today my friends so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow i still have a dream it is a dream deeply rooted in the american dream i have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal I have a dream that one day, on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character." Oh fuck no! I'd be screwed.
1: <laughs> yeah, we had, we had one class that we had to memor we had to memorize that we had to memorize all of the presidents in order. Um, the oh jeez! F- to the Constitution,
0: I had to memorize yeah. the states in alphabetical order. Well, yeah. not alphabetical order because so they would do North Dakota and South Dakota together, for example. Oh, that's so dumb. not yeah. It was dumb. It was dumb. North Carolina and South Carolina were together. So like you know, but um. No, and but yeah, I had we did to, have to yeah.
1: we did have to memorize that so that was something that at one point I had memorized but no longer I should
0: have asked you to say it then
1: <laughs> absolutely not I would not have remembered it eh. this was like sophomore year of high school
0: eh. that's that's pretty that's pretty good for so I thought you meant elementary school and I was oh, like God, no, no I had to learn the states <laughs> jeez difference between yeah. Catholic school and public school oh, um yeah. night and day night and day but yeah, but, and also yeah, ad-libbed fucking yes, nuts. Ad-libbed. Can we take a minute? Um. Damn. But also not to go off on a tangent. Um, I think my sc- stomach may have made some comments of its own earlier. So, okay. if you hear that, that is what it is. I'm not damaged physically, just, just some mentally. Grumbles. Just it's just mad at me because I haven't fed it in a while. Um, but moving on, tangent over. So, I had a d- have a dream came to be regarded as one of the best speeches in American history. Like yeah. it's up there with like Lincoln's like address, like Gettysburg Address. Yes, it just it's it's one of the most famous speeches in American history. Yeah. So the march, and especially his speech, helped put civil rights at the top of the agenda of reformers in the United States, and is believed to have single-handedly facilitated the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Mm -hmm. And if you're wondering, the original typewritten copy of the speech, which included Dr. King's handwritten notes, was later discovered in 1984 to be in the hands of George Raveling, the first African-American basketball coach of the University of Iowa. So wow. Raveling was 26 at the time, standing near the podium, and immediately after the speech, he just had this impulse and asked Dr. King if he could have it. Like, just have it. Have his copy. Yeah, yeah. Just like you would do with, like, a set list at a concert. Yeah. And Dr. King gave it to him. He was like, yeah, sure, wow. man. Here you go. I know. Can we take a minute? That's really cool. That's so wild. Like, uh, if he had kids, their tuition must be paid for. Um, (laughs) Yeah, right? But, yeah. So, that same year, Dr. King was later named Time Magazine's Man of the Year. He was arrested over 20 times and assaulted at least four times. And he was awarded five honorary degrees and became not only the symbolic leader of African-Americans, like, American African-Americans, but of, like, a world figure to black people all over the world. Yeah. So he organized and led marches for African Americans' rights to vote for desegregation, for labor rights, and other basic civil rights. And Mm. most of these were successfully enacted into the law of the United States with the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which we mentioned before, but also the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Okay. But moving on to 1964, at 35 years old, Martin Luther King Jr. became the youngest person to win the Nobel Peace Prize, and when he was notified of this selection, he announced that he would accept the award, but would donate the $54,123 prize money to the furthering of the civil rights movement. Wow. Yeah. So, his acceptance speech in Oslo is thought by many to be among one of the most powerful remarks ever delivered at the event. And the often, like, the the quote that everybody knows from the speech is, quote, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right temporarily defeated is stronger than evil triumphant, Mm -hmm. end quote. So later that year, or we're in 1964, right? Yes. 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 So then later that year. um, So Dr. King and the SCLC joined forces with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and SNCC in Selma, Alabama, where they had been working on voter registration for several months. And a local judge issued an injunction that barred any gathering of three or more people affiliated with the SNCC. I can't speak the SNCC. So the one with the students, yeah, the SCLC, or any of forty-two named or forty-one named civil rights leaders, and then other organizations. Mm-hmm. So basically, anybody to do with the civil rights movement, a local judge was like, "No, you can't gather." you can't you can't you can't be together together. um this injunction was temporarily halting civil rights activity until dr king defied it by speaking at brown chapel on january 2nd 1965. Mm -hmm. after this he attempted to organize a march to the state's capital and on march 5th dr king met with officials in the johnson administration in order to request an injunction against any prosecution of the demonstrators However, when the first attempt at a march took place on March 7th, 1965, the protest ended up getting abandoned because the mob and police violence against the demonstrators was just astronomical. Yeah. So Dr. King actually didn't attend this march. He had church duties. Okay. But he later wrote, quote, if I had any idea that the state troopers would use the kind of brutality they did, I would have felt compelled to give up my church duties altogether to lead the line, end quote. Mm. And this is another one that you'll see often when you research the civil rights movement. This footage was just broadcast everywhere. And again, it sparked national outrage. And the day has become known in history as Bloody Sunday and Uh was a major turning point in the effort to gain public support for the civil rights movement. Because basically anybody who hadn't hopped on by this point was like in it or in the KKK. So this was the clearest demonstration up until that point of the dramatic potential of Dr. King's nonviolence strategy. However, he wasn't present for it. It sucks that he wasn't there to witness it, but it still counts. It still counts. Yeah. So he next attempted to organize a march for March 9th, a few days later, two days later. And the SCLC petitioned for an injunction in federal court against the state of Alabama, but it was denied, and the judge instead issued an order blocking the march until after a hearing. Mm. Which is bullshit. Yeah. Nonetheless, Dr. King led the marchers on March 9th as planned to the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma and then held a short prayer session before returning before turning to the marchers having them go back and asking them to disperse so as not to violate the court order. Yeah. So the unexpected ending of this march basically people got really surprised people got really mad and they were like what the fuck. Um, So it had to happen again, basically. (laughs) And um, they were like, we want to redo. So the march finally went ahead fully on March 25th, 1965. And at the conclusion of the march on the steps of the state capitol, Dr. King delivered a speech that became known as how long, not long. And in Mm -hmm. it, he stated that equal rights for African-Americans could not be far away, quote, because the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends toward justice, end quote. And quote. You shall reap what you sow, end quote.
1: He's got so many famous speeches.
0: So many famous speeches in such a short time, too. Like, think yeah, about right? this. He got involved with the SCLC in 1957. So yeah, and when, 11 when years talking, he was involved.
1: When you were talking about, like, his age and everything, he was, like, Yum. in his early 30s when he made the I Have a Dream speech. Like, that's yeah. nuts. Yeah, That's crazy.
0: I can't even make a grocery list. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, come on. But um, but yeah, it's just it's and his career was really prolific. Like between nineteen sixty five and nineteen sixty eight, they got their right to vote. They got their right to be in public places and on public transportation with white people, but they did not yet have fair pay or even equal pay any of it yeah so dr king shifted his focus towards that um, which he highlighted by leading several campaigns in chicago but then he also shifted it to international peace by speaking out against the vietnam war so his work during these years culminated in the poor people's campaign which was like a wide spanning effort to put together a multiracial coalition of poor members of the American people who would advocate for some kind of economic change. So on April 3rd, Dr. King addressed a rally and delivered his, quote, I've been to the mountaintop address at Mason Mm -hmm. Temple, which is the world headquarters of the Church of God in Christ. So again, another well-known speech. Yeah, yeah. And his flight to Memphis, where he was to lead a protest march in sympathy with striking garbage workers of that city, had been delayed by a bomb threat against his plane. I wondered why it ended there. And then I realized, oh, that's because the line ends, Caitlin. Again, I'm so tired. (laughs) Um, So delayed by a bomb threat, not a bomb, against his plane. And in what was kind of a prophetic prediction of what would be the last, like, speech of his life, he referenced the bomb threat, saying, quote, And then I got to Memphis, and some began to say the threats or talk about the threats that were out. What would happen mm. to me from some of our sick white brothers. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. So, end quote. Yeah. So... The next day, on the evening of April 4th, 1968, while standing on the balcony of his hotel room at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Dr. King was assassinated. Um, According to Jesse Jackson, who was present, King's last words on the balcony before he was shot were spoken to musician Ben Branch, who was scheduled to perform that night at an event that King was also attending, and he said, quote, Ben, make sure you play Take My Hand, Precious Lord, in the meeting tonight. Play it real pretty, end quote. Mm. So, like I said, he was shot at 6.01 p.m. by James Earl Ray. The bullet entered through his right cheek, smashing his jaw, and then traveled oh. down his spinal cord before lodging in his shoulder. Oh, my God. The owner of the hotel... Um, heard the shot from inside the motel room and ran to the, or no, Abernathy, the guy that we talked about before. Bye bad. Yeah. Um, because the owner of the hotel actually testified. Um, he was there too. But um, they have similar names. But so he ran to the balcony and found King lying on the ground, on the floor. So Jesse Jackson stated after the shooting that he cradled King's head as he laid on the balcony But this account was disputed by other colleagues of both King and Jackson, and Jackson later changed his statement to say that he reached out for King. Mm -hmm. So after emergency chest surgery, Dr. King died at St. Joseph's Hospital at 7.05 p.m. And according to biographer Taylor Branch, Dr. King's autopsy revealed that although he was only 39 years old, he, quote, had the heart of a 60-year-old, end quote, which branch said was because of the stress of the civil rights movement so Mm. and it makes sense because also there's some really interesting side-by-side photographs of past presidents and how you can see how stressed they become because in four years in eight years they go white they're they just age rapidly like it's a it's it's very stressful on the body Uh but um So this assassination was felt really hard by everybody worldwide, but especially in the United States. And it led to a wave of race riots in Washington, D.C., Chicago, Baltimore, Louisville, Kansas City, and a bunch of other cities. Mm -hmm. Um, Bobby Kennedy, who was now at this point campaigning for the presidency, he was heading to Indianapolis. At, blah, 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 blah. I can't speak. Oh my God. This is why I need to eat more. Um, he was heading to Indianapolis for a campaign rally, actually, when he found out that King had been murdered. He gave a quick speech to the supporters who came and told him about what happened and told them to continue King's ideal of nonviolence. Yeah. So the next day, Bobby Kennedy delivered a prepared response in Cleveland, and that became a pretty well known speech as well. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, other civil rights leaders, including James Farmer Jr., also called for nonviolent action, while more of the militant African American activists, like Stokey Carmichael, said that this called for a more forceful response basically, fight violence with violence. Mm, all so right. Memphis quickly settled on the strike (laughs) that was, remember, still happening. Yeah. Um, They were like, yeah, I think we're done here. Um, You can have what you want. And President Lyndon B. Johnson declared April 7th a national day of mourning for Dr. King. Mm -hmm. His body was returned to his hometown of Atlanta, Georgia, where his funeral ceremony was attended by... A bunch of, like, world leaders of, like, all races, all political affiliations. Just, it was an international event. Yeah. And Vice President Hubert Humphrey attended the Dr. King's funeral in place of President Johnson because people were concerned that his presence might cause more protests and perhaps incite violence. Yeah. So he went. Johnson didn't. But at... Coretta's request, Dr. King's last sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church was played at the funeral, as was a it was a recording of his drum major sermon, and it mm-hmm. was given on February 4th, 1968. And in that sermon, Dr. King made a request that at his funeral no mention of his awards and honors be made, but that it be said that he tried to, quote, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, be right on the Vietnam War question. And love to serve, love and serve humanity, end quote. Hmm. Um, also, his good friend, Mahalia Jackson, the singer who was like, tell him about your dream and then beauty ensued. Yes. Um, she sang his favorite hymn, Take My Hand, Precious Lord, at the funeral. Mm. So two months after Dr. King's death, Ray, who was on the loose, because of course he was, um... He had he had previously escaped prison, shot Dr. King, was hella going back to prison now. So he was like, peace. <laughs> yeah. Um so he was eventually captured at Heathrow Airport in London, England. Um, while he was trying to leave England on a false Canadian passport using the well, alias Wait, no, 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 it gets better. Using the alias Ramon George Snaid.
1: On his way
0: to Rhodesia, which was a white country. (laughs) Great. Um, He's all about the whites. So he was immediately extradited to Tennessee and charged with the murder of Dr. King. And he ultimately confessed on March 10th, 1969, but then recanted his confession three days later. And on the advice of his attorney, he pleaded guilty to avoid a trial conviction, which meant that there would be less of a chance of him receiving the death penalty. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So he was sentenced to a 99 year prison term. And Ray later claimed that a man he met in Montreal, Quebec, with the alias Raoul, was involved in the assassination and that it was the result of a conspiracy. Okay. (sighs) Okay, and he spent the remainder of his life attempting unsuccessfully to withdraw this guilty plea and get a trial and was adamant that it was a conspiracy and that he didn't do it. Mm. Nevertheless, Ray died at age 70 on April 23rd, 1998 at Columbia, Nashville Memorial Hospital from complications related to kidney disease and liver failure caused by hepatitis C. Hmm. But not before a quick little three-day escape aroo in 1977. Oh well, yeah. pulled a Bundy. He did. He pulled a Bundy again. Remember, he wow. was he was a prison escapee when he shot King. Yeah, like this dude doesn't give it up, huh? But yeah, so his brother Jerry told CNN that his that Ray did not want to be buried or have his final resting place in the United States because of quote. The way the government has treated him. End quote. So sad. I've been victimized so much. Oh, it's racism against white people. Ugh, um, the Because God exists. Ugh. So the body white was- Yes. <laughs> to there's, walk a mile in a, his shoes a poor poor man he, and he didn't even kill dr king he just pulled the trigger but raul made him do it mm. uh, there's always a raul there's always a raul typically it's raul julia from the adams family but oh well this time it's a different maybe it's the same one we don't know maybe he's dead now we can't ask nope <laughs> or is he dead no the other the other gomez is dead the og gomez Yeah. But, um, whoops, that's, that's awkward. Um, so, the body was cremated, Ray's body was cremated, and his ashes were flown to Ireland because that was the home of his mother's ancestors and, of course, White. Yeah. Though, I think if he knew that Dr. King was part Irish, maybe he wouldn't have done that. Yeah, right? Irony! Both of your families came from Ireland. (laughs) Yeah. You were family, bro. Yeah. Sucks, don't it? So getting into the pop culture side of things a little bit. Dr. King's wife, Coretta, followed in her husband's footsteps. And as I alluded to before, after he died, she was very active in matters of civil rights and social justice up until her death in 2006. Mm. And the same year that her husband was assassinated... She established the King Center in Atlanta, Georgia, which was dedicated to preserving his legacy and championing championing nonviolent conflict resolution and worldwide tolerance of all races and sexes. Mm-hmm. Their son, Dexter King, currently serves as the chairman of the center. Oh, nice. Yes. Um, their daughter, Yolanda took after her father, and well, she got his gift of public speaking. Yeah. And um, she became a motivational speaker and author and founder of Higher Ground Productions, which was an organization that specialized in diversity training. Oh, and okay. And she passed away a year after her mother in 2007. Mm, Alright. Um. However, after Dr. King, like, immediately after King died, um... The plan to set up a shantytown in Washington, D.C. was carried out, and criticism of King's plan was subdued in the wake of his death because he had planned this out, but it never came to fruition. Yep. And the SCLC received an unprecedented wave of donations for the purpose of carrying it out in his honor. So mm-hmm. the campaign officially began in Memphis on May 2nd at the hotel where King was murdered, and thousands of people came to the National Mall again- and they established a camp that they called Resurrection City and stayed there for six weeks. Whoa. Yeah. That's a commitment. I want to know how many people bathed in the reflecting pool. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, you know, you know, like, how do you want to piss off people? We're going to bathe in the reflecting pool and we're going to co-mingle. Yeah. And it's going to be I, great.
1: It must have been a, a stinky six weeks.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I don't maybe think I they, maybe it. they brought deodorant. We don't know. We yeah. don't know. Like, it's possible.
1: They have willpower that
0: I will never know. This is true. I don't know that I would be able to do this. I very much enjoy, I don't know, my bed, for one thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you want me to choose? <laughs> yeah. I'd I'd be like no I don't need civil rights I'm good. <laughs> no we need we all need civil rights as a privileged
1: white, white woman person. yeah right Wh- woman easy for us to say
0: exactly um obviously desperate times call for desperate measures and they did what they felt was necessary and I mean it clearly had some effect if we're still talking about it today exactly yeah so yeah. And then beginning in 1971, cities including St. Louis, Missouri, and states, like entire states, established annual holidays to honor Dr. King. And at the White House Rose Garden on November 2nd, 1983, President Ronald Reagan signed a bill creating a federal holiday to honor Dr. King on January 20th. And that was first observed on, in 1986. It's called mm-hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. Day it was yesterday if you're listening to this on the day it was released Mm -hmm. and it's kind of a big deal yeah and following president george a.w bush's 1982 proclamation this uh, the holiday was changed to be observed on the third monday of january every year so i guess i should have specified that because it's closer to dr king's birthday which is i believe the 15th yes yes um so on January seventeenth, two thousand, for the first time, Martin Luther King Jr. Day was officially observed in all fifty states. Two thousand. Wow. Yeah. That's well, late there. Yeah. That's only twenty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that huh. that happened. Um, Arizona. New Hampshire and Utah were the last three states to recognize the holiday because, of course, they were. Come on, guys. In 1992, 1999, and 2000, respectively. Utah, but Utah previously did celebrate the holiday, but they did, they called it Human Rights Day. So, they kind of, yeah, they kind of get a free pass. Yeah, all right. But also, all throughout the country, there are streets named after dr king they're like yeah. go to any given city and there's at least one dr martin luther king jr boulevard like at yeah, least exactly. one at least one yep. and there has been some criticism in especially in past years though that these streets often are in more impoverished neighborhoods and people don't really appreciate that they think that it kind of stereotypes him even I, though it's I not kind of see that yeah yeah but they he's still prolific today like there there are so many people who live on the street named after him yeah absolutely there there are so many there was one in new haven where i went to college and were you who honorarily went to college yeah yeah but um on to more pop culture things did you know that Dr. King also had a connection to Star Trek? No. Mm-hmm. What is this? So remember when we were talking about, I think it was Heaven's Gate, and we talked about Nichelle Nichols, the actress on Star Trek. Her brother was a member of the cult. Yes. So I believe that was it. I believe it was Heaven's Gate. Um, she, in 1967, decided that she was going to leave Star Trek after its first season Because she wanted to go back to musical theater and she met Dr. King who told her that he was a fan of the show and said that her character signified a future of greater racial harmony and Mm -hmm. cooperation. And he told her, quote, you are our image of where we're going. You're 300 years from now. And that means that's where we are. And it takes place now. Keep doing what you're doing. You are our inspiration end quote Mm. so if that doesn't make you want to keep doing what you're doing (laughs) yeah right um, and as Nichols would later recount quote Star Trek was one of the only shows that King and his wife Coretta would allow their little children to watch and I thanked him and I told him I was leaving the show all the smile came off his face and he said don't you understand for the first time we're seen as we should be seen you don't have Mm. a black role you have an equal role end quote so Nichols stuck with the show, and she went on to make history as being part of the first mixed-race kiss to appear on television with her Star Trek co-star, William Shatner. Yeah. Yep. And I think we might have talked about this. Did we talk about this? I I remember hearing about it, but I don't know if we talked about it. Yeah, I, was, I don't remember if we talked about it together not on the show or on the show. Yeah. But basically what happened was... This kiss was written into the script, and the network was like, absolutely fucking not. But William Mm -hmm. Shatner, who was the star, was like, I want to do this, and I'm going to cause a big stink if we don't. So, eventually, it came to an agreement with himself and the network. The network was like, okay, you can do one take with the interracial kiss, Wow. All the rest of the takes have to be you two acting like you're going in for a kiss and then at the last minute turning your faces so you're cheek to cheek and staring at the camera. That's such bullshit. Oh, but wait. Ugh. So when you're filming things, you get a certain block of time that you can do it. If you if you run late, then the rest of the production runs late. People get angry. People get hungry. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Um I know you know this but just in case there's anybody out there who doesn't know I'm not trying to like be demeaning. Yes. <laughs> so they did 21, I believe it was, takes of the interracial kiss wow. because every time they did it, William Shatner was like, "No, I did not like how I acted in that one. I need to do it again." Uh-huh. So it got to a point That they were running out of time to do the, like, little, like, dip out. And so production was like, hey, okay, we need to do one with you guys not kissing. Like, we know what you're trying to do. This is bullshit. Like, you have to do one without you guys kissing. So Mm -hmm. William Shatner was like, all right, fine. So they do the thing. They say their lines. And then they lean in. And then they turn their faces so that they're cheek to cheek to the camera, right? Yep. So production goes back and watch the the production company, like the network, goes back to watch all of the takes, and they see all of these these interracial kiss takes. Yep. And they get to the last take of them just being cheek to cheek. Oh no! And William Shatner is crossing his eyes. <laughs> 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 so they had to use one of the twenty-something interracial kiss takes nice. <laughs> and that's how it came to be because he was a sass master. Yeah. And so and and he helped Nichelle Nichols make history. Mhm. But yeah, so that's one cool thing with pop culture that I thought was really fun. Yeah. Um but then more recently, the 2014 Academy Award winning, winning film Selma, which was directed by overall powerhouse Ava DuVernay. Mm-hmm. And starred David Oyelowo as Martin Luther King Jr. I'm sorry, David. I have a feeling I did not get that right. Um, but for those who don't know what it is, IMDb describes it as a chronicle of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s campaign to secure equal voting rights via an epic march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama in 1965, which we discussed. Yep. Um. So it has a 99% rating on the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter. Ooh, and an eighty-six audience score, eighty-six percent audience score. Yep, with the critical consensus being fueled by a gripping performance from David Oyelowo. Selma draws. I think it's. I think it's Oyelowo. O oh, Oyelowo. Was I, I think so. I don't know. I'm terrible at this. It's O Y E L O W O. I think it was Oyelowo. Every time I write these, I go oh, and right before because I'm gonna forget. I'm gonna look up the pronunciation, and then I never remember. We've been we've been at this for two fucking years. I never remember.
1: I know. I do the
0: same thing. It's bullshit. Though. I know, but it's bullshit. I feel bad. Um. So, fueled by a gripping performance from David Oyelowo, Oyelowo, Selma draws inspiration and dramatic power from the life and death of Martin Luther King Jr., but doesn't ignore how far we remain from the ideals his work embodied. Yeah. Yeah. True. That's true. Yeah. So it also has a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb and a 90% Google Store and an 88% score on Metacritic. And like I said before, it was Oscar nominated. It was nominated for two Oscars. Best Achievement for Music written for a motion picture original song, which it won. It was the song Glory by John Legend. And I think Common had something to do with it now that I think about this. Um, Yeah. I I just, I kind of just hear Chrissy Teigen's husband and latch on to that, so that's where my brain is at. So it was nominated for that, and then it was also nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year, um, which was historic in that Oprah Winfrey became the first African American woman to be nominated for Best Picture. Oh, all right, Pretty dope. Not that great, but pretty dope, because she was on the production team. But, um... And then it was also nominated for three Golden Globes, Best Original Song, Motion Picture for Glory by John Legend and possibly Common, um, which it won. And then Best Motion Picture Drama, Best Director. Did I say three or four? I don't know. All right. It was four. It was four. I think I misread. Best Director in for a Motion Picture, which would have been Ava DuVernay. And best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama, which was David Oyelowo, or David Oyelowo. And like I said, didn't win best picture for either of them because hashtag Oscar's so white. But we can hope, we can dream. I have a dream. And yeah, so then one final tidbit on June 25th, 2019, so a recent one. The New York Times Magazine... Listed Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. among hundreds of artists whose material was reportedly destroyed in the 2008 Universal Fire because they are still finding things. Oh, wow. Yes. So that's very unfortunate.
1: Yeah, that's really sad.
0: But he lives on in so many other ways. So while it's unfortunate, it's still. He's still around. He's still being honored every day and especially yesterday.
1: Yeah. Yeah
0: so Very cool. yeah that's it so not super happy not no. super weird <laughs> it yeah, wasn't like i was like yes he likes feet um but no yeah so that's that's the reverend dr martin luther king jr and his legacy
1: for all you guys listening did this feel like high school That you were in your social studies class.
0: Oh, okay. I was like, where are you going going with this, Haley?
1: (laughs) Every once in a while we do like a a history episode that I was like,
0: ah, it feels like I'm in school again. Oh, yes. It's Miss Caitlin. Teacher Caitlin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Students, pay attention, please. Pay attention now. If you can hear me, clap once. If you can hear me, clap once. And if you clap at work, you get an extra credit. Yay. Um, Yay. You're not at work. I mean, you're at work, but, like, not that work. Oh, I'm working. Oh, I know. I know. But, yeah. So, that's it. Yeah. That's That's all she wrote in her notes. You can go to
1: the website for more information, and that's crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com.
0: Yes, and you can also go to our Instagram page. It's crimeculturepodcast. You can check us out. Give us a like, maybe a follow if you feel so inclined, we're also on Twitter at Crime Culture Pod because at Crime Culture Podcast wasn't working. And we are there. We are walking around on the Twitter page. And yeah. You slide into our DMs on
1: any of our stuff. We're also on Facebook. Seriously. And
0: most you of can the time. Email so- us. Oh, go ahead. You can email us at crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Yes. And you can also like us on Facebook. But what I was going to say is so we've been having some experiences. I don't know if, Haley, you've been noticing this. People are sliding into our DMs and we're not seeing them. Oh, no. <laughs> so there are new algorithms, I guess, with messaging. I know for Instagram, I think Twitter's doing it too. So they'll like sort people's messages into like new folders, which I'm not loving.
1: Oh, so like if you don't follow somebody, you don't really get the like the, the push notification?
0: You know, I was thinking that was it, but then it happened to myself and a friend of mine on my personal account, so I'm thinking huh. that it's just across the board. Like All it, right, well, they got I don't some know. kinks to, wor- to work out. Yeah, some kinks. Um, but yeah, so if you think we're ignoring you, if you think that we don't care about you, we do. We aren't ignoring you. It's just that social media is dumb. Yeah. And that's it. All right. And we have a Patreon. Did we talk about the Patreon? Not this week,
1: but you can donate to our Patreon. Uh, If you can't find the link, you can message us and we'll send it to you. Yeah. But it's on the website. It's like the little, like there's like a little Patreon
0: shaped button. Yes, there is. um, And if you go to any of our, oh, sorry, Haley, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. All right.
1: I was just going to say you can donate to...
0: Our Patreon for a dollar or more and there's different rewards at each level. Yeah. And if you are having trouble finding it, we have a link tree on most, if not all, of our social media websites and it's listed on there as well. So you can just click the link. We're at Crime Culture Podcast. It's all fun and games. They say you must be 18 or older. We all know that we're just saying yes. Because we're cursing up a storm over here. It is. It's because yeah. we like the word. F- we like the fuck word. Yeah, we like the we got fuck potty word. Potty mouth on here. Yeah, man. But like anyway, sailors.
1: Yeah, sailors. that's all sailors. All right. Well, we hope you have a good week, and we mm-hmm. will see you
0: next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Are you a true crime addict? Do you find yourself talking serial killers and missing persons at parties only to be met with uncomfortable smiles? Well, find your tribe on True Crime Snack Time, a daily podcast that gives you a little true crime snack to chew on. From January 1st to December 31st, you'll find out what happened on this day in true crime. Short, sweet, and chock-full-of-crime. Join me, Allison, on True Crime Snack Time. We're available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Follow True Crime Snack Time on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Crime Snack Pod. And remember, keep your friends close and your snacks closer.